on the program tonight, we want to talk about hope for eternity. Do you hope to go to heaven? Do you yes, hope, sir. Do you hope to be uh, with God in heaven for all time? Yes. Well, I think most people do. And, uh, and we should. And we should. It's a wonderful thing to, to hope for, but we're, what we want to talk about tonight is we think some people are basing their hope on false premises. All right. It's an important subject, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you to the virtual bible study for thursday september 6 2018 my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you good to be with you kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome to the program it's good two to weeks be. in a row that's a nice little streak you got going there. Yep. And uh, glad that you're on the other end of the line tonight. We want to hear from you at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Sign in the chat room to listen and comment with other listeners tonight. We always to think our program's better with listener participation. I see Dwight out there in Ames, Iowa. I see Mo down in Cullioca, Tennessee. Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, and we've got a listener in Ohio. Mike's up in Ohio tonight, and if you're in the chat room tonight, sign in with other listeners. You might just let us know where you're listening Just for tonight. point, Just for point of clarification, Mo is in Linville, Tennessee. Linville, Tennessee, yep. not too far from Cullioca. And if Cullioca. you know where either one of those are, you get a prize. All right, uh, we got some bumper stickers we still want to give away. Yes, we can get you a bumper sticker, help us advertise the virtual Bible study. Uh, we, we really do hope that we can get some word of mouth going one way or the other. Uh, tell other people about the Virtual Bible Study, and, and let's build our audience. All right. And to see Jim in uh, Tompkinsville, Kentucky there tonight. So they're, they're filtering into the chat room tonight. And uh, we want to hear from each of you on the program tonight. All right. Important subject tonight. All right. Earlier today to our update list, get on our list by sending us an email, questions at College U. Com and just say, add me to the list. You would have got this update earlier today. We want to talk about false hope for eternity. We think some people are holding on to false concepts that give them a, a they think they have a hope, but we think the Bible says no. Uh, and we, we had five, but actually a listener, uh, Nikki, uh, wrote in today and gave us point number six that we'll add at the end of our lesson yeah. or our study tonight. Appreciate that. But here are the here are the five things we suggested. People are basing their hope on the idea that there will be no eternal punishment. Okay. In other words, I'm not worried because I don't even think there is such a thing as hell. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I've lived a pretty good life, especially if you compare me to lots of other people. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not that bad. Mm-hmm. Number three. I sin some, but the sins that I commit, God doesn't really, those are not really big on his chart. He doesn't really care about the sins that I do. Number four, God's grace just covers it all. And number five, I have accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. All right. So we want to talk about the fact that people have, uh, 
establish false hope on some of these premises. And this, this, you're not making these up. These are legitimate uh, reasons people oh, sure. give people, for their hope. People these reference that all the time. I mean, I imagine that most of the people listening tonight have heard, variously heard people say all of those things in maybe one form or another. If you have other things you've heard people base their hope on, send those in the chat room tonight. So what is what is this idea of hope? There's two there's two words that sometimes are used almost interchangeably, but they're not actually the same. For instance, I might say, I wish I had a million dollars. Well, that would indicate a desire, but no real expectation of receiving a million. I, I, I'd like to have a million. I wish I had a million, but I don't really have an expectation to get a million dollars. However, if I change that wording and said, I hope to earn a million dollars, then that suggests the idea of desire, but with expectation that it, that it could happen. So there's a difference between wishing and hoping. Hope is a desire with some expectation. Well, among a lot of religious people today, they hope for heaven. They hope to have a reward in eternity. But unfortunately, their expectation of that is based on things that the Bible denies. And so it's a false hope. Your definition of hope uh, does parallel with the, how the Bible defines that in, in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse uh, 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then we do with patience wait for it okay. so there's that expectation that desire plus that expectation is uh that's the biblical definition of hope yeah all right so let's talk about these these false concepts that people hope in and the first one is is i, I think a really fundamental one and that is the, re, the fact they have hope for eternity because they don't think there will be anything such as eternal punishment uh, a Pew Research survey. Uh, we get a lot of s- stats from the Pew Research people. They make they put out a lot of interesting questions and get a lot of statistics that we find useful. Uh, the Pew Research people ask about heaven and hell. Seventy four percent of people believe in heaven. Let's talk about Americans. Fifty nine percent of Americans believe in hell. So there's a there's a 15 percentage uh, disparity between believing in heaven and believing in hell. So a lot, a lot of people believe in heaven, far fewer believe in hell. And that's the false hope we're talking about. The false hope is that 15 percent who says, I don't really think I have to worry about it because I don't think there's a hell anyway. Yeah. There, there is no hell. Kyle, you may know some folks like that who don't believe in, in an eternal punishment. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are uh, notorious for that. Yes. Well, yeah, they believe, of course, in the eternal war of just destruction. As soon as you die, you're just destroyed, yeah. so you don't have to worry about that. But that may be comforting for some, but I just don't see uh, – so you can do whatever you want to in this life. So you have to worry. You could be destroyed anyway if you're going to sin, or, but, or if you're going to be found faithful, you'll be among the 144,000, I guess. So, but, uh, yeah. so the it's interesting – when you read in the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus speaks more about hell than any other person. Yeah. More of the references, more of the quotes uh, are from 
Jesus than anyone else. For instance, how, how could any thinking person, reasonable person, miss this statement? Mark 9, verses 45 and 46. Some will be cast into hell where the fire that never, uh, where that, where the fire that never shall be quenched into, I'm going to start that already. Yeah, you want to start it? They'll be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. That seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, Their worm never dieth. The fire is never quenched. Uh, Again, I think a really important verse is Matthew 25, verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Matthew 25 is sort of... Uh, Jesus depicting the judgment scene and some will go away into everlasting punishment the righteous into life eternal it's interesting this is in the same verse and although in the English we have everlasting punishment and eternal life those are actually the same words in the original language and so our argument is that however long heaven will be is exactly how long hell will be uh, the, the punishment of hell will be everlasting, just like life in heaven will be eternal. Uh, heaven is real. We're glad for that. We rejoice in the reality of heaven. Hell is real, too, and we have to be warned about the horrors of hell and the punishment that awaits those who are not serving God in this life. So if, if your idea, uh, there is no eternal punishment, if, if your idea is basically everybody gets to go to heaven well that's not right if your idea is as kyle was suggesting well i may be a bad person but god will just wipe me out and i won't have to worry about it that's not true either there is eternal punishment everlasting punishment jesus said matthew 25 verse 46 and so with, with that idea in mind that's just something to be uh, quite concerned about. There's no false hope to be, no hope. It's a false hope. There's no hope, real hope to be gained by saying, I don't think there's an eternal punishment. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. In the chat room tonight, Jim has su- suggested another reason for false hope. Far too many depend on the unfounded belief that God's goodness will far outweigh any concept of punishment. In other words, God couldn't send somebody to hell. It, yeah, it, it, I think a loving that's right. God couldn't send someone to hell. I think that's right. A, a, a lot of people, the reason why they think there won't really be any eternal punishment is because they think God is just too loving a God to ever do anything like that. And I've always thought that the people who hold such a view haven't read their Bibles very thoroughly. Because especially as we read through the Old Testament, there's numerous depictions of God's judgment that he sent upon people. Uh, how How... Would you explain Noah's flood when everyone on earth died with the exception of Noah and his family as punishment from God? We serve the same God. His basic character is unchanged. And if he could punish then, he can certainly punish now. Oh, just look. I mean, yeah, you, you read your Bible and you see all the things that God is, the ways that God has punished people who do disobey. He, God cannot allow for evil to go without some punishment or some uh, uh, atonement. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told uh, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we may talk about that a little more uh, later in the program. But, the, I mean, the the torment 
the rich man said he was in such torment that he was begging that Lazarus would come and just put a drip of cool water on his tongue. He said, I am tormented in this flame. Jesus depicted uh, the rich man in intense, torturous pain. Uh, now, did Jesus, Jesus just off track on that? Did he miss it? Was he not, or, or was he deceiving people? Uh, we think, obviously, the answer is Jesus was actually describing the idea of the punishment that will come to those who are wicked. All right. Uh, Kent from Calhoun, Georgia, has chimed in tonight. Kent, thank you for your comments. Kent says, to no, the no eternal punishment view does not find its basis in the Word of God. The Scriptures teach that those who do not obey the gospel of Christ and those who formerly obeyed the gospel and do not remain faithful will be eternally punished because they were not forgiven of their sins. He references Matthew 25, verse 46, as you did. Also, 2 Thessalonians chapter two verses, or chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, starting with verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired and all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 29, he references this passage. For if we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful for looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law to die without mercy under two or three witnesses of how much sore punishment... Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and encountered the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the grace of God. All right, so lots of verses that describe the reality of eternal punishment. Don't take hope, don't take false hope in the idea that there will be no hell. The Bible definitely teaches it. All right, we're going to get a break and when we get back, there's another reason that folks give for their hope. The, the idea, of, I've been a pretty good person. Huh. I'm better than somebody. I, you know, I, I do pretty good. I'm not a real bad guy. I should have a hope of heaven. What about that? We'll get that thought on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Don't go anywhere. You might miss something. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks us. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Abraham Lincoln said, Character is like a tree, and reputation is like its shadow. The shadow is what we think of it, but the tree is the real thing. Hard work spotlights the character of people. Some turn up their sleeves, some turn up their noses, and some don't turn up at all. Unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered, you will never grow. If money talks, it usually sends the wrong message. Man, wish I'd said that. 
See, I told you we'd be back. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about false hopes for eternity. Kyle, on the other hand, is just hoping for a cure for the common cold. Sounds pretty rough over there, Kyle. Yes, came down pretty hard. So yeah, I'll, just, well, I, I got your mic- nice. I'll mute your microphone. You can sniff <laughs> away uh, tonight. Uh, but uh, we are looking forward to hearing from you tonight. Uh, Jim in the chat room says, if there is no punishment, then why do we need to repent? Why do we need to change from obeying sin to obeying Christ? Yeah, if there's no punishment or if the punishment is simply annihilation. So if there is no punishment, then I can live any way I want. And if there is the punishment, but what it basically is, is that I just get annihilated and wiped out, nah, I may go ahead and live a bad life anyway, because what have I got? I mean, I don't have a lot to lose. I, uh, I just, I'll just fade away and cease to exist, and so no big deal. I agree with Jim. I mean, they're, 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 all of the calls to repentance and to right living are are really without any purpose or merit if there is no punishment. All right. Another reason that folks give, and you hear this one a lot. The idea is that, that you know, people think they've lived a pretty good life and that surely God won't punish them. Surely that they're better than most people. Yeah, you know, you live, he, lived, he lived a good life. You hear that at funerals all the time. Yeah. Uh, I remember hearing the story about uh, a funeral that was taking place and the preacher was, you know, waxing eloquent about the deceased and talking about what a great guy he was and everything. And... And his widow stood up from her seat and walked up to the casket and looked in. And and one of the children said, Mom, Mom, what are you doing? And she said, I just wondered if he was talking about your dad. <laughs> maybe we got the wrong spot here. Yeah, maybe we're in the wrong pew. The the idea is that, you know, at funerals, everybody's, you know, he, he's in a better place. This guy may have been a, a pretty corrupt individual. But at their funeral, uh, everybody wants a preacher. And everybody wants the preacher to preach him into heaven. Talk about what a great person that they were. Uh, but let's 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 just take that at face value. Let's say that a person dies and he was a pretty good guy. In fact, in fact, he was an excellent guy. He was an outstanding individual. The guy died, and he was really a wonderful individual. Well, even at that, that wouldn't provide true hope for him if that's what he was just hoping on being a good person. Romans 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three, the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and the wages of sin is death. And so even if you, would, uh, in, in comparison to others, weren't as bad as others, the fact of the matter is you're still a sinner, and what you earn for your sin is to be lost eternally. You know, we look at that, and maybe it's easy to see why people do that at a funeral. And maybe we see the fallacy of it, you know. Oh, Joe never darkened the door of a church building. He didn't care anything about the Bible or God, but he didn't kick the cat, and he was pretty good to his dog. And, um, you know, he was really good. Uh, he worked a 40-hour week. A 40 he paid his taxes. He took care of his family, you know. Yeah. Well, we're looking for some hope there, but we can see that that's not that, that that doesn't make sense. But do we do the same in our own lives, where we look at ourselves and we look for, well, do I have a hope? Well, I don't kick the cat. I work a forty-hour week. I've been taking care of my family. I think everything's all right. We can see the fallacy maybe when we look at others doing that. But the same is true for us. We can't have our our hope based on that. And 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 when you really boil it down, what's being suggested there is that. 
you're earning heaven, that you merit it, you deserve it. Right. And if that's the case, then you're also not only saying that you can live in such a fashion to deserve heaven, which the Bible denies, but you're also saying that Jesus died for no purpose, at least in regards to you, because you're a good guy. And so if you're going to be saved on the basis of being a good guy, Jesus didn't even really need to die. Right. Right. It's just all wrong. A a, a really misused text along this line is Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice, salvation is not of works that you could boast about. Now, this is a misused verse. Some people try to say that, that... try to use this verse to deny obedient acts like baptism. But I just want you to focus in on that expression. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do for which you can boast and brag and say, look how good I've been. I lived a good life. I'm a good person. I I should go to heaven. Uh, There are no works of merit. No matter how good a person you are, you're still a sinner and you need salvation. And you're not going to get to heaven just on the basis of living a good life. Uh, And so that's a false hope. But I'm going to tell you, the people who are making that argument usually are not even trying to be religious. And so here's a guy, he never goes to church. He never reads his Bible. He, he, hasn't, he hasn't got a religious bone in his body. But he's, he's arguing that he should be in heaven on the basis that he's a pretty decent guy. Well, is he decent? He, he, doesn't, he, he, he does nothing for God. He doesn't trouble himself at all to even investigate the Bible. He, he never bothers to worship or glorify God. Is he really a good guy? I don't think so. All right. Uh, Kent says, a pretty good life in comparison to who? In comparison to others is this, in this life, perhaps one may live a pretty good life. However, in comparison to Christ, if one is outside his fellowship, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans three ten through 23. Thank you, Kent, for that comment tonight. Uh, Mo says, none is good enough to go to heaven. We all deserve hell. I think he's exactly right. And he's typing on his cell phone tonight. The autocorrect got him there. It wasn't hell. It was H-E apostrophe L-L. Hill. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll deserve hell. Yeah, that autocorrect will get you every time. I hate that spell check. All right. Uh, I, and I think probably a lot of our listeners know this argument very well from Acts chapter 10 about the man Cornelius. Uh, he's described uh, as a really good guy, a wonderful person. He was, uh, Acts 10, verse 2, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. But notice, an angel appeared to him and he was told to send for Simon. Quote, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest or must do. Uh, and so he was a good guy, but he wasn't saved. And, yeah. he, and he needed to hear the gospel and believe it and obey it. And so Cornelius is a perfect example to show that just trying to earn salvation on the basis of good works or being a good person, that that does, doesn't get the job done. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Are you hearing people make these type of statements that shows that their hope is in a false basis? Let us know your thought on that tonight, and uh, let us know... If you've heard these things in your comments, we're looking forward to hearing from you on the program tonight. Lots of folks, I think, uh, perhaps this may be one of the more popular ones that we hear, the, the basis for hope that's in error, that's false, is the idea that, hey, I'm a pretty good guy, I think I'm okay, 
if you were to talk, I think if you were to take a poll on the street today and ask folks, are you going to heaven? That would be probably an answer that you'd hear most often. Yeah, I'm a good guy. Uh, I'm a pretty good guy. I, uh, I pay my taxes. I do this. I do that. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Yeah. I've got a comment in, in, on our YouTube page uh, from Buckeyes247. Uh, he says, on the flip side of your topic, I have had some members of the church feel as if there are so many branches of sin, it is more difficult now than in the Old Testament. For example, some members would say that buying gas from a gas station which sells alcoholic beverages is a sin. What are your thoughts? There are other examples, but some members can find a connection in many ways. This can be discouraging to some members. Uh, well, I'm... Uh, I, I do think there are lots of ways to sin. Uh, I, I'm not going to excuse us and say that we have it harder than anybody else ever had it. I think, I think that if you go to the Old Testament, there were a lot more rules and regulations that they had to be concerned about than we have to be concerned about under the law of Christ today. Uh, uh, but we can't use that as an excuse to say, "Well, it's a, I think that the argument would." As being posed there, and again, I don't think Buckeyes 247 agrees, but but the people he's describing are saying it's impossible to live a There's good no life. There's no use trying. There's no use trying because sin is so prevalent. Well, that's where we do rely on the grace and mercy of God. Uh, we're going to talk about grace and how it works here in a minute, but we're not going to merit salvation. There's none of us are going to merit salvation. And so if you're saying, well, I don't think I can do it because I can't, I can't live a perfect life. Well, no, none of us are going to live a perfect life and we're not going to merit salvation. That's exactly what we're talking about here. You can't be good enough to earn heaven. But the idea that you should just give up is contradicted by 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where we read, There has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it? It's not, God hasn't put us in this life where the only option we have is to sin, and we can't avoid it, and you might right. as well quit trying. Right. All right. Let's grab our, our uh, bullet point break, and when we come back, we'll talk about this sin is not a big deal. God doesn't really care about. I, 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 there's this one sin that I that I commit pretty regularly, actually. But I don't think. Oh, it's, no, that, that was not bad. That's not a bad. One. That's just sort of yeah. yeah. And and so I'm not too worried about it because I don't think God really cares about this. Okay. What about that? Send your comments in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're gonna let's get this week's bullet point and get your thoughts. We'll be back right after this. Wow. It isn't so hard to understand the Bible after all. There's more exciting study and discussion coming after these messages. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Throughout God's word, we're instructed to be thankful for his blessings. Here's a sampling of such verses. 1 Chronicles 16.8 Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Psalm 97 verse 12 Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Ephesians 5, verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, verse 17, and whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Have you ever wondered why God commanded us to be thankful? Does He need this? Is He somehow dependent upon us to voice our gratitude to Him? Is there something about His nature that craves this and can't do without it? The answer to all these questions is, of course, no. God is not dependent upon us in any way. He doesn't need us. We need Him. His instructions to us concerning giving thanks are like all of His commands. They are for our good. 
Observe, quote, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes for our good always. Deuteronomy 6, verse 24. When we take time to thank God, it serves to remind us of our total dependence upon Him. It helps us to realize our own weakness and frailty. It keeps us focused on Him and eternity. Colossians 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be ye thankful. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate and I'm three years old and this is the Birdsable Bible Study. How about logging off of Facebook and getting into God's book? The Virtual Bible Study continues. We're back on the program tonight. We want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. The best way for you to find out about us is to come and worship with us. Find out about our meeting place and time of meeting at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Take a minute to send us an email to questions at collegeu.com with any comments you might have on something you've heard to suggest a future topic on the virtual Bible study, to ask a question that we could include in one of our listener question episodes, or maybe you want to uh, suggest that maybe you come on the program and discuss a difference with us. We'd love to have uh, you join us for that, and we will give you our word that it will be a friendly discussion and uh, one that will be beneficial uh, if you'd be willing to discuss uh, differences with us. We would benefit from that. Questions at collegeu.com is the email address to use. We look forward to hearing from you. We're talking about false hopes for eternity. Mo has gone a little bit more detail. He said, none's good enough to go to heaven. We all deserve hell. If I lived a perfect life, I have not earned heaven. I have only not disqualified myself. Mm -hmm. I already owe to God a perfect life. There you go. Okay. Thank you, Mo. And, and, it, and of course, we're not going to we're not going to hit that mark of perfection. And so, the, the truth of the matter is, if I have one single sin, it will keep me out of heaven unless I gain forgiveness for that sin. Okay. All right. All right. So now, what about the idea that God that that God doesn't care about all sins? That some sins are not as serious as others, and that that although I do sin, my sin is not as bad as most other people's sin. My sin's a little sin compared to the big sins. That other people have. Well, what we're saying is all these concepts suggest a false hope. That's false. That's that. There's there's no biblical basis for that kind of thinking. Although I'm sure lots of people think that way, and apparently uh, it's not a new way of thinking either. Psalm 10 verse 11. He says to himself, "God has forgotten. He has hidden his face." He will never see it. Mm-hmm. You know, so all the way back, uh, the psalmist wrote about the idea, that God's really not paying attention to what I do. He, this is this is something that he is no, not, not going to deal. see. He doesn't care. It's not yeah. a big deal. All right. Uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, people have that idea, but apparently have always had that idea. I, I think there's a number of ways to argue this point, but one of the ones that I like is just to go to some of the places in the Scripture that give catalog, sort of cataloged lists of sins, like Second Timothy 3, beginning verse 1. Know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of self. So here's this list of sins. Just pick out one like blasphemers. They're blasphemers. That's horrible. Yeah, right. And right after blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Yeah. 
which we would say, well, those don't, those don't seem like they register on the same scale. Right. But they do in God's estimation. Right. Uh, got covetousness in there or boasters. And a lot of that going on in the world today. But it's all, they're all lumped together. You get the idea. God is not ranking sins as big black sins and little white sins. They, they are all sins that will keep us from being in a right relationship with God. All right. And so to everybody who says, well, the things I do are not, not as bad as what most other people do. You need to get over that kind of thinking. Yeah, I'm not as bad as that guy. Oh, this, this is, you know, you know, everybody has a vice. Everybody has something that they do they shouldn't do, but it's not that big a deal. A lot of it, people excusing themselves yeah. and still having hope when they're living in rebellion to God. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia says, God indeed does care about sin, Romans 6.23. Sin is so terrible in the presence and mind of God that Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins in order that we might, through obedience to the gospel, be saved from such. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 is his reference where we read, uh, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. And so, certainly, sin is terrible. Any sin is terrible in the mind of God. All right. I, I think we can probably dispose of that one pretty fast. I, uh, I, I do think that people probably, they, I'm not sure they would vocalize that position, but I, I think they probably hold that view. You know, uh, murderers and rapists are horrible. They'll go to hell. But I, I just, I, I, I just tell a few little white lies. Yeah, not as bad. Not as bad. God probably won't punish me if I, I got a problem with my temper. But yeah, you know, who doesn't? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on. All right. All right. So number four. I really think that God. The argument this person says is, I think God's grace will cover it all. Uh, now, we've already talked tonight about grace, and we understand that grace the grace of God is absolutely necessary because we can't live perfect lives. Define grace. We, we, grace is the favor of God, undeserved or unmerited favor of God is what we, what we identify as grace, and the Scriptures talk a lot about grace. We definitely need God's grace, and nobody is going to be saved without it. And so it's really important. God's grace is really important. And nobody that I know of would even think about downplaying the importance of God's grace. Mm-hmm. But I think some people go overboard in the notion of grace. And their their thought of grace is that it covers everything. That you, know, you, can pre- you pretty much have a free license to do as you please because of grace. And I don't think that that's true either. Uh, Apparently, some people in the first century felt this way because the Apostle Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Uh, And so basically, I think Paul was dealing with the idea that we're describing here that we don't have to worry because grace is going to cover it all. We can just keep on doing what we're doing, and grace will cover it all. And Paul says, that's, that may it never be so. God forbid, the King James Version says. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, In being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So God isn't just saying, hey, live however you want. My grace will cover it. Jesus will save you. No, Jesus saves those who obey him, that exactly. submit to them, exactly to him right. and, and obedience. 
So uh, again, we got to we got to touch both sides of this. Uh, one is we absolutely understand the essential nature of grace. We'll never we'll never be in heaven if there is no grace from God. But on the other hand, do not establish a false hope in saying that God's grace is so thorough that I don't have to do I don't even have to think about it. I don't have to comply with his conditions. I don't have to try to do anything to serve in service to him. God, uh, we, we, uh, we talked about grace several times on the virtual Bible study, and and one of the one of the le- studies I think we did is uh, God's grace is amazing, but it's not that amazing. You know, we sing the song "Amazing Grace." Right. And God's grace is amazing, but it's not that amazing that you can just do anything you want and not have any concern whatsoever. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says I think, it. I think that one is is uh, for the next point, Jacob. Oh, that is. We okay. He yeah. he, he, he got uh, all right. Got ahead of us there. All right, uh, all right. Ready and, for the next one. Okay, and so then, well, what about the idea that I have accepted Jesus as my personal savior? Uh, that's common terminology. Uh, it's interesting that it's such common terminology, but it's not biblical terminology. Okay. Uh, I, I can't find that in my New Testament, except that I should accept Jesus as my personal Savior. Uh, what does it even mean? Well, uh, it's true that you must accept Jesus as the only way of salvation. I, I, if, if that's... If that's what you mean by saying I accept Jesus as my personal Savior, I would agree with you that we have to accept Jesus as the only way that we can be saved. Acts 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we agree. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to accept the the truths about Jesus but what most people mean when they say accept Jesus as personal Savior is that that's all you have to do. You have to acknowledge that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God and the risen Savior. That faith only, just having that elementary faith is all that's required. That's what most people mean when they talk about accepting Jesus as personal Savior. They're teaching the doctrine which we think is a false doctrine. The doctrine of salvation by faith only. That word, that term, accepting him as your personal Savior, also is accompanied with the sinner's prayer, a prayer that we can't read about in the Bible. And it's interesting that people would put their hope in an action that they do that's not even anywhere remotely mentioned in the Bible. Billy Graham's famous wording for that was, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I ask your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior in your name. Amen. That's Billy Graham's version of the, the sinner's, sinner's prayer. prayer. But it's interesting that other people have their own versions of the sinner's prayer. If you think if there was a, a prayer that you would pray to be saved, that there'd be some uniform uh, uh, construction of it. I know that you recently did a program, Jacob, on the sinner's prayer. It's just not in the in the Scripture. But if you... Again, if I'm basing my hope on this, my my eternal destination is based upon this one thing. You'd think I'd want to go to the Scripture and say, yes, God said to say this prayer, and this is how it should go. But I don't find anything like that in the Scriptures. And so certainly people are basing their hope for eternity on false uh, premises and, and false uh, precepts there. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. 
I think probably most of our listeners know where we often go in response to this faith-only position. Just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And by that they mean just have elementary faith. James 2, verses 24 and 26. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now understand, James here is not contradicting the verse that we referenced earlier in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 1. Verses 8 and 9 says it's not of works, lest any man should boast. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's talking about meritorious works that you could boast of. There are no works that you can boast of. That's not going to, there's no meritorious works that will save you. James here is talking about works of obedience, uh, complying with the terms of Scripture. And so James... Uh, in James chapter 2, verses 24 and 26, is not contradicting Paul in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Understand that different kinds of works are, are under consideration in those two passages. But James is clearly saying this: there's something you need to do in order to be saved, uh, and it's not by faith only. Back to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who accept him as their personal Savior. No, it says, unto all them that obey him. We've got to be obedient. It's interesting. And most people, I don't know that most people who take this faith-only position, no works, you don't have to do any works, it's by faith only. I I wonder how many of them are familiar with John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Even faith is called a work there. Now, all, everybody says you got to have faith. Well, if you have to have faith, then that, that Jesus identified it as a work itself. And so you, you can't say there's no works because faith itself is a work. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeu.com. What about this? Could you, If you're saying then that all you need to do is accept him as your personal Savior, will you be saved if Jesus is not Lord of your life? To say that, oh, all you got to do is accept him as your personal Savior, then what you're proclaiming is Jesus will save you if he's not the Lord of your life. But in Luke 6, verse 46, Jesus said, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If I'm not obeying Jesus, he's not my Lord, and I can't expect him to save me if I'm not obeying what he told me to do. Right. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. They say, Lord, Lord, wouldn't that be accepting Jesus as personal Savior? Well, you would think so. Okay, so go on. So they, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. All right, so uh, and, and in fact, that text goes on. Many will say to me uh, uh, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. If you're doing, even, even if you're doing religious deeds, but you're not complying with the, the authority of the scriptures, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. So for the people who have this false hope in the idea that they have accepted Jesus, they have elementary basic faith in Jesus, they have accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, understand that without the works of obedience that you have no hope. All right. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, 
four, five, six, seven. Uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. And uh, well, what we need from you t- now is we need you to help comment on some well, things well, that you've heard. Yeah, and one more thing here. Let's get Kent on this question about accepting Jesus as personal Savior. Kent says, in order to be saved, both in this life and ultimately in eternity, one must accept Christ. So it is true. You must accept Christ. However, accepting Christ is only the starting point. John one twelve instructs us that in accepting or receiving Christ, you are given the power or the authority to become a Christian. One cannot become what they already are. Therefore, we indeed must accept Christ. We must also obey him. Faith or acceptance of Christ is essential but not sufficient. A believer must repent of sins. Acts 17.30, confess Christ. Romans 10.9 and 10. Be baptized into the remission of sins in order to become a New Testament Christian, a member of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38, Acts 2.47, 1 Corinthians 12.13. The Christian then must remain faithful to the Lord by walking in the light of truth. 1 John 1, 6 through 10, Revelation 2, verse 10. Thank you for that, exactly right, Kent. All right. When we get back from the break, we need your help. Have you heard any other people base their hope on things that are invalid, that are not based on the Scriptures? And we actually have one have such one suggestion those. from our listener, Nikki, and we'll read that here in a minute. All right, so Nikki has experience with folks who make another uh, basis for their salvation, for their hope for eternal life. We want to hear from you, though. And the best way is on that phone line again. The line's open, 877 we're going to get a break, and we'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Got a question about something you've heard on the virtual Bible study? Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be right back after this. Hello, my name is Trent Haynes, and I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. In a scanning of the book of Proverbs, it provides us several reasons to discipline our children. To show you don't hate them, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Chapter 13, verse 24. To give them hope, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Chapter 19, verse 18. To help them for a lifetime, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old he will not turn from it. Chapter 22, verse 6. To chase away foolishness. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Chapter 22, verse 15. To save his soul, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. Chapter 23, verses 13 through 14. For your own comfort, discipline your child, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Chapter 29, verse 17. Parents need to read and understand these passages. So too should our children. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. The share of Americans who identify as atheists has roughly doubled in the past several years. A recent study found that 3.1% of American adults say they are atheists. That's up from 1.6% in a similar survey in 2007. An additional 4% of Americans call themselves agnostics, up from 2.4% in 2007. That information is via the Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. God's Word has the answers. Let's get back to studying it. The virtual Bible study rolls along. And we're back on the program tonight as we talk about false hope for eternity. And certainly a lot of folks are putting their hope in the wrong places when it comes to their eternal destiny. This is a very serious subject. We're talking about our eternal destiny, and we want that hope to be based on what the Scriptures teach, not on what man's may, man may think, what uh, various religions may teach, but what, on the, what the Scriptures teach 
or looking to the false hopes that people have tonight and showing the fallacy of those uh, reasonings for their hope. Okay, so we got this email after we sent out our update today. We got an email from a listener, Nikki, in Georgia, who says, I was talking to a co-worker about heaven, hell, and people dying in their sins. She, that is the co-worker, told me that once an individual dies, they have a second chance of making it into heaven. I referenced Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, and John 8:21 for a few references. She insisted that there was a scripture to back up her belief. I asked her for a biblical scripture. She said yes, but needed to get back to me. She says, can you help me understand this false hope? Well, Nikki, I think it is clearly a false hope. And i got to commend you because I think that you you gave a good answer already. I, I can't really think of a, of a place much better than the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. I think probably all of our listeners tonight are familiar with that story that Jesus told. Some people argue that it's a parable. Or others argue that it was a real, actual account of two real individuals. I don't think it matters. I think it teaches the truth one way or the other. If it's a parable, as we've often pointed out, it's different than any other parable in regards to naming an individual and so forth. But notice, the rich man uh, was uh, in torment. Verse 23, Luke 16, 23, he lift up his eyes being in torment. He saw Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. No, here, here's the key verse, verse 26. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And so Abraham told the rich man, basically, you are in a, an unchangeable state. Nothing can be done for you. That would clearly deny the idea that there's a second chance after death. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, And as it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment, you get one chance. After you're dead, uh, your fate is sealed. Um, and we see that in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We see here in Hebrews chapter 9 that there is no, this this idea of a second chance is foreign to the Scriptures, but it's not foreign to a lot of religious organizations today. What about the Mormons? You know, they think that uh, you can... Be baptized for the dead. So, so maybe you got somebody well, who... And the Catholics teach purgatory. Well, that's right, because they have this idea of a mortal sin and a ven- uh, venial sin where they, one sin's real bad. That's going to that's gonna doom you to hell. But these other sins, it, it may, you know, God's not going to be happy with you. Well, you're not going to go to hell for you know, I think the Catholics even teach a, a state of limbo. That's for the, that's for the, uh, the infants that are die before they're sprinkled. Okay. Uh, because they have this idea of inherited sin. So yeah. you got, you know, if, if your baby doesn't make it, well, then that puts that baby in a bad spot. Well, we can't sprinkle them now. They're, they're gone. So we'll just say, well, they're in some kind of state that we don't know. Yeah. All right. Here's another verse, Nikki, that I think will really help answer this question. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body 
according to that that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Now notice that judgment is going to be based upon what you did in the body. Well, you're only going to be in your body once because linking this to the verse you just read earlier, Jacob, Hebrews 9:27, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So you're only going to live once. You're only going to be in the body once. And judgment is going to be based upon the things done in your body. So you're not going to come back to your body to re, re, you know, do, take a re, redo. Yep. And so all of that would argue no second chances after death. Yeah. Uh, so, but it is. It's amazing how prevalent this idea is, even in the religious world. And maybe, maybe some folks hold to this idea, maybe in secret. They don't want to admit it, maybe. But maybe some folks think, you know, I think I'll have an opportunity to fix that maybe later, if, if something were to happen and I were to, to die. Maybe yeah. I could bargain with God. Maybe I could. Maybe I could. Maybe we could talk it out on the day of judgment. But it's, that's clearly false hope. It's just not there. So, Nikki, in answer to your question, I, I don't think your coworker is going to be able to come up with any verse of scripture that even comes remotely close to suggesting the idea of a second chance after death. You're right on track to use Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. I think it's perfect. Uh, I would throw in that 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, uh, joined with Hebrews 9, 27. I think you got an ironclad case there. And you were smart to ask her for biblical uh, justification. Yeah. We all need to be doing that, and that's the purpose of this program, is to, to make sure that we have biblical hope for, for biblical explanations for all we believe, and that we are... Uh, willing to provide those when asked yeah uh, uh, jeff in the chat room uh, has has uh, also included hebrews nine twenty seven appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment uh, thanks jeff for that appreciate that you know, in first peter chapter 3 verse 15 we're instructed but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear you know, and we just got a minute here. Uh, we might comment on what Nikki did there. She was actually referencing Scripture when she was talking to her co-worker. Her co-worker says, I, there's, there's Scripture. I don't know where it is. I'll have to. Well, that's fine. And sometimes we have to do that. You know, and that's not a bad thing to say. Let me get back with you on the Scripture. But bottom line is there's got to be Scripture. And and so Nikki was doing a good thing to to show Scripture. I don't, I'm confident that her coworker will not be able to produce any scripture that contradict the plain teachings that, that, that Nikki already referenced. That's right. And so we may not be able to go to the scripture right off for our hope, but we ought to, if someone asks us, we ought to be able to say, you know what? You're right to question me on that. I need to make sure that what I believe is found in the scriptures, and I ought to get on, on the case there to find out, does the Bible teach what I believe in the reason for the hope that i have can i find it in the bible and if not it's time to change and uh we hope that uh, nikki's co-worker yeah, will make that and change. nikki's in the chat room right now thanks nikki thanks for listening tonight yeah thank you uh all right a good discussion tonight but it is sad how many people are basing their hope on false premises i think that's i think it's true and and we got to make sure that that's not true of us that we're basing our hope and confidence in the revealed truth of god's word and our efforts to Live by that to to gain uh, the the 
the opportunity to experience God's grace. We're, we're not God's grace, His mercy is the. I gotta be careful how I say that. We don't want to imply meritorious action at all. It's not possible. But the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Titus 2, verse 11 says, so we've got to live the way God's grace teaches us to live. All right. Uh, And if you think that our hope is not founded on the Scriptures, you think that we're mistaken in our hope and we have a misunderstanding of something in the Scriptures, we would very much appreciate if you would contact us and help us to understand the Scriptures more completely. Uh, Send your emails to questions at collegeview.com. Kyle, final thoughts from you tonight. That's a good study. I think it's uh, <clears throat> the Bible plainly teaches that uh, there's redemption in this life while we live, and then there's a judgment, and then that's it. That's we face the judgment, then we're we meet what's meted out to us. So that's All it. Right. Thanks, Kyle, for being here tonight. Even though you're not feeling well, hope you get to feeling better soon. And uh, Dad, thanks for a good discussion tonight. That's shame. And thanks for everyone on the other end of the line tonight. Appreciate you joining us. For those who participated, thank you for your participation and your help with the program. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word, and we hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.